This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 386. So if you've ever had a conversation with someone where you just feel like I'm not getting past a certain point, you know, I've hit a wall, it might have to do with the kinds of questions that you're asking. For many of us, listening is simply something we do on autopilot. We hear just enough of what others say to get our work done, maintain friendships, and be polite with our neighbors. But we miss crucial opportunities to go deeper, to give and receive honest feedback, to make connections that will endure for the long haul, and to discover who people truly are at their core. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. Why? Well, you know why, because I believe that if you want to achieve true success in business and in life, that intentional and consistent reading is a must. Today, the successful and inspiring author we'll be speaking with is Jimena Vengochea, author of the new book, Listen Like You Mean It, Reclaiming the Lost Art of True Connection. I'm going to ask Jimena to share about how humility affects your ability to meaningfully listen, tips for staying curious in a conversation, especially when you have a strong knowledge of the subject being talked about already. I'll ask her to explain the concept of connecting questions and how they can help you go deeper in a conversation and lots more. Well, the day is finally here. This episode is being released on Tuesday, August 31st, 2021. And that means that my new book is in stores as of today. Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career. If you've pre-ordered it, thank you. If you haven't ordered it, what are you waiting for? This is a book designed to not only make the argument for why you need to have a consistent and intentional reading habit, but also how to get the most out of what you read, help with deciding what to read when it comes to learning just about any new skill you put your mind to, how to better comprehend and retain what you're reading, and plenty more. Find out all about it at readtoleadbook.com. You know, in the book, we refer to a resources page on our website, and one of the resources we list that's especially helpful for retention and comprehension is an app called ReadWise. What I love about ReadWise is it helps you revisit your highlights. Highlighting's great, but what's the point if you're never going to see any of those highlights again? Well, ReadWise lets you quickly liberate your highlights from all the things you're reading from various sources all into one place and ensures that you actually see and use them. In fact, I would argue the app ReadWise and my new book, Read to Lead, go great together for helping you remember what you read. How often do you finish a book only to forget the key ideas two weeks later? We don't remember things just by reading them once. One of the things I like about ReadWise is it fixes this using a process called spaced repetition. ReadWise is going to surface your best highlights back to you at the right times and let you review them every day with a daily email and app. So two things you need to do today is pick up my book, Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career Wherever You Buy Your Books. And try ReadWise free, not for one month, but for two months. And that's just for listeners of Read to Lead. To find out more about that, go to readwise.io slash read to lead. That's readwise.io slash read to lead. And to pick up your copy of my book, Read to Lead, out officially today, August 31st, simply go to readtoleadbook.com. Jimena Vengochea is a user, researcher, writer, and illustrator whose work on personal and professional development has been published in Inc., The Washington Post, Newsweek, Fast Company, and on The Muse. 
an experienced manager. She previously worked at Pinterest, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Her new book is called Listen Like You Mean It, Reclaiming the Lost Art of True Connection. And it's a book now at the top of my list for all of my clients. I'm recommending it wholeheartedly. Jimena, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I thought we'd begin by just having you sort of unpack the differences between a couple of things you talk about early in the book. And that is this idea of surface listening, the kind of listening most of us practice, I think, most of the time, and empathetic listening. Yeah. So surface listening is essentially when we are listening to what's happening at the surface, the sort of literal of what's being said. And often we're not getting past that because we're distracted. We have our own inner monologue that's kind of running the show, um, or we're just not being very mindful that there might be more to hear. And so we hear enough to kind of be polite. Um, you know, it's the sort of nod and smile effect. But it, what we miss when we only stay at the surface, though, is we miss getting the subtext, the meaning, and we miss the emotion. And so when we get to that level of understanding someone at an emotional level, that's where we really tune into what I call empathetic listening. And that's where I think the real human to human connection occurs because we're catching so much more than what someone is literally saying. We're also understanding what they're feeling. I know I'm guilty of this. I have a, a particular friend I'm thinking of that I meet with on a regular basis. And I've caught myself many times when he'll start a conversation and be sharing something personal to him. And before I know it, I've made the conversation about me. <laughs> what are some methods that we can employ to make sure we're not doing that? It's a very common response, I think. Mm. And, and we often do do this without realizing that we're doing that. So I think one really helpful thing is to just first recognize that when you're having a conversation with someone, they're bringing in a need. I think we often think of conversations as arbitrary, mm. or we think about our needs, like what do I need to get out of this meeting, chat, whatever it may be. But recognizing that your friend or whomever it may be, they're bringing something into the conversation. So maybe they need to feel supported or validated or they need advice. There's so many things that they might need from that conversation. So first recognizing, oh, there's something they're bringing in and trying to understand what might that be. And I think one of the ways that you do that is by creating space for the other person mm. to share, to, to speak their piece. And that means letting them take the lead. It means getting comfortable with silence. Sometimes people will stop talking and we think, okay, now I need to jump in. You know, they're getting bored. I better change the subject. Our discomfort will prompt a strong response. Sometimes the person just is processing mm. <laughs> and is still working their way through whatever it is they want to share. So I think that's really important as well as making sure that you're giving people that space to really share what's on their mind. How does humility come into play with regard to uh, meaningful listening? Humility is a big part of being able to make the space that I was just talking about, mm. because often what happens is we have an opinion or an assumption or a preconceived notion that comes into play. And when that comes in, you know, that's our ego speaking, basically, <laughs> right? And when that comes in, it becomes really hard to hear the other person mm. because we're mentally, or perhaps maybe we're even interrupting them, we're correcting them or we're providing a perspective. And so humility is really about creating an openness and coming in with an open mind and putting yourself in the position of being a student 
rather than an expert. Mm. So it's saying, what can I learn from this person here today? And that's a really important shift that I think we're, we're often not framing our conversations in that way of mm-hmm. what can I learn from you? Again, it's often, we're, we're often focused on what can I say here? <laughs> like, right. how do I stand out or, you know, impress this person or whatever it may be? So humility is kind of flipping the script in that way. And that can be especially hard to do, I would think, when we come to a conversation with strong knowledge of the subject already, right? It's, it's a challenge to uh, stay curious in, in, in a conversation when, that, when that's the case. Absolutely. When we have a certain level of expertise, you know, it's, it makes sense that you, you have more to say, <laughs> right? You have, more, you have more opinions, more informed opinions. And so it's not to say that, you know, you, you want to disregard your expertise altogether, but it is to say that you probably will have to work a little bit harder to stay curious and to stay humble in the presence of someone else when you have expertise in a topic. And if that's the case, then I would suggest trying to regularly ask yourself the question of, well, what else can I learn? So I have all this expertise, but do I have all the expertise? There's probably something else I can learn. And just giving space for that possibility um, and for that insight to come through, I think is important. And then the other thing, especially when you have deep knowledge on a topic, is to consider not just what you can learn on that topic, but about the person you're speaking to. So why is this person so drawn to this topic? You know, maybe you're a financial whiz and you know all of all of those details, but someone else is sharing something about their personal finance situation. You're like, okay, well, maybe I'm not going to quote unquote learn much about the financial sphere, mm. but what does this tell me about this person? Why are they sharing this with me? Where does this interest come in for them? You can always be learning something if you shift that mindset towards being more of a student. Mm. My next question probably overlaps with some of the advice you've already given, but we hear a lot these days about being present with someone in conversation. Uh, it, it can be easy, especially in 2021, to, or it can be hard, I should say, to, to not want to check our phone every five minutes or some other distraction. What are the skills, in, in your view, that we need to practice that are going to help us remain present as, as we listen? I think the number one skill is just to be building self-awareness and self-knowledge of what our unique distractors are. So in some cases, I think we can agree on, yes, devices are generally <laughs> distracting and, and intentionally so, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of by design. Um, so putting devices away is usually a good idea when you're trying to have a really deep conversation. But there are also things that may be unique to you that are important to know. So are you more of an early bird or a night owl? Mm. Do you start to run out of steam after three back-to-back meetings in a row? Or can you go up to five back-to-back meetings in a row and still be present and engaged? I don't know anyone who can do five. (laughs) More power to you if you fit into that category, but that would be a lot, right? So it's figuring these things out about yourself. And some of that really does come down to observation and sort of tracking like, oh, okay, I really wasn't present in that meeting. What happened there? You know, it might be the number of meetings. It might be who's in the conversation. Maybe you notice that there are certain people for whatever reason kind of start to tune out. (laughs) Maybe it's a topic of conversation. So it's really tracking all of those things and starting to understand them. 
And you can do that over time and then you can also do it in the moment. And I think that's really important too, because if you're in a conversation and you start to realize, oh man, I'm thinking about my grocery list (laughs) or (laughs) I'm thinking about like my action items and I'm not actually listening to this other person, you can use a meditative process where you are observing your thoughts and then you're labeling them. And this is something that you can learn in cognitive behavioral therapy where, you know, if you're anxious, you, you recognize the anxiety you label it as such and it helps you manage it better. You can do the same thing in an ordinary conversation and just notice, oh, those are my thoughts running the show. Oh, I'm not paying attention. Okay, I'm going to come back to center here. Just acknowledge, label, and return to the present moment. Going back to this idea of the devices and their distraction, if we're having a conversation with someone and we feel like their device is pulling them away, uh, would you recommend just stopping if you're the person on the other end of that and saying, hey, I really appreciate it if, if you'd put that away. I need you to hear me right now. I mean, can we be that direct? Should we be that direct or does it, does it depend on the situation? I think it depends on the the relationship mm. more than anything. Like if you think that the other person will be able to hear that and respectfully respond to it, then absolutely. Mm. I think maybe one of the best things you can do is just to establish that at the beginning so that it feels less like you're calling the person out for right. you know their bad behavior and more just as a norm for this meeting. Like, hey, I'm I'm really looking forward to chatting. How about we both set our devices aside? I really want to have a focused conversation, whatever it may be. Um, because I think then it can make it feel less personal, right? It's it's less like, hey, you're not doing this right, and more like, hey, jerk. Yeah, and more like we're we are collectively deciding that we're going to set devices aside yes. because we want to be here for the other person. I have so much respect for my mother-in-law, who at family gatherings, when we walk in, requires everybody to put their device in a basket, and <laughs> you're not allowed to use it uh, during the the family gathering. And my wife and I have resorted to when people come over here, I'm always changing the the password on the guest Wi-Fi because we have family that show up that that want to jump on devices and use the Wi-Fi, and I've forced them now to have to ask for it every time they come. And then I've made the password like something really embarrassed. <laughs> like if, they, if they have to enter it, they're going to, to really have to admit they're addicted to this device if they're willing to enter that password. <laughs> I love it. You're creating just a little bit of friction. <laughs> trying, trying. Well, what are some clues we might be able to pick up on when we, quote, observe as we listen? Sure. So, yeah, listening is as much about hearing the other person as it is about observing the situation and their response. And so the biggest thing that you're looking for in terms of bringing observation is is a shift, some kind of change, because if there's a shift, it usually tells you something has happened, maybe even emotionally. And so what I mean by that could be um, thinking about the other person's pacing. Do they naturally speak pretty quickly and suddenly they've slowed down? Or is it the reverse where they're usually a deliberate thinker and suddenly they're kind of racing through something? Have they started to trail off? Anytime there's a shift, that's pretty telling. Or change in pitch could be another thing to look for. Posture, you know, body language, also helpful to tune into, particularly in group dynamics when you can kind of observe and see what is the, you know, how are people sitting next to each other? Are they kind of bundling in close? Are we getting a lot of distance between people? Who's standing up in the room? Who's sitting down? Because your your height, your literal, like how much space you take up can indicate confidence and authority and dominance and that kind of thing. And then there are a few other postures that are, I think, more subtle 
but also telling. So if someone starts to kind of touch their collarbone or neck area, so fiddle with a collar or a necklace, that's usually a sign of self-soothing. Like there's, they're maybe a little bit nervous or anxious. It can of course be just, you know, a tick, like, like Mm. that it's important to take all of this into context of what do you know about the person generally? Um, But that can be a cue. And then also looking at people's feet, which is hard to do when you're remote, but in person, (laughs) um, you know, someone may be engaged with you face to face and they might be, you know, looking right at you, but then their feet are pointing towards the door. That's a very subtle cue that maybe they're ready to end the conversation and they're just too polite to say, hey, I've got to go, or they haven't figured out how to extricate themselves. (laughs) So you're taking all of these different cues in along with obviously what they're saying. Um, but you are paying attention also to to how they're saying it to derive meaning. Uh, later in, in the book, and I'm wondering if you can unpack some of this for us, you talk about some of the default listening modes. We, we talked about one of them earlier, how recognizing them in ourselves and others gives us an advantage. Yes. So earlier when I was mentioning this idea that conversations have hidden needs, mm. one of the Things that can get in the way of uncovering someone's need and what they're bringing into conversation is our default listening mode. So our default listening mode is how we naturally show up in conversation. It's the filter we tend to listen through Mm. when we're not particularly paying attention. And this is, we all have them. This is usually informed by our early relationships. Maybe there was a type of listening that was modeled for us or a type of listening that was rewarded. Um, And so we've kind of internalized that our personality also plays into it. So we're each bringing these modes in. And in the book, I outline 11 and they're all good. There's no like, you know, one mode is better than the other, (laughs) but the key is you have to adapt it to the situation. Mm. And so, for example, one mode is the problem solver. If you have a problem solving listening mode, that means you tend to be listening with the filter of, is there a problem to solve here? Or even there is a problem to solve here. (laughs) What is that problem, Mm -hmm. right? And that's a great listening mode. For example, if you are brainstorming, you're generating ideas, maybe there's a roadblock when there actually is a problem that Mm -hmm. needs solving. What a beautiful listening mode to Mm -hmm. bring into conversation. Mm -hmm. But what if someone is sharing, you know, some things that they're working on And you hear that as, oh, they're having trouble. They're struggling with, you know, all the work that's on their plate. And you start offering advice and they're like, no, 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 I actually wasn't looking for advice. I'm just, I'm telling you I'm working hard. I just want you to see that I'm working hard. Mm. And actually you're telling me what to do. It it kind of feels disparaging. It feels like you don't have faith in me, right? So you can see how the, the mode, if misapplied, if we miss that, initial need that I was talking about earlier, then our conversations can start to go Mm. a little haywire. But just one other mode by way of example would be the identifier. So the identifier is listening with the lens of how can I relate to what's being said? And it's a really lovely impulse because it comes from a place of wanting to share an experience or to let the other person know that they're not alone, Mm. right? To affirm their experience in some way. But if the other person is not looking for that kind of affirmation, then the identifying listening mode can just sound dismissive. So if you're telling me, oh, I'm having a really hard time, you know, with a business partner and, you know, I'm really struggling with this relationship and me in an attempt to 
identify and relate to you. If I say, oh my gosh, I know exactly what that's like. Mm. That's like this issue that I had with my neighbor, da, 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 da. If that wasn't what you were looking for, then it feels like, well, I just took the mic from you. And now the conversation is about me. And (laughs) I think we all are. And it's also really hard to pick the quote unquote, like acceptable um, scenario to swap with. So you talking about a business partner relationship, me talking about a neighbor, you might think, well, that's not at all the same dynamic. Mm. Like that's clearly my issue is more important than your issue with your neighbor. Right. So it's very hard to um, appropriately identify. Mm. It doesn't mean that there aren't situations where identifying isn't a great response, but the point with all of the modes is just to recognize what am I bringing in typically to a conversation and is it what's needed in this moment? Or is this a moment where I might need to shift and instead of doing what I usually do, I might need to tap into a different kind of response. You reminded me as, as you're talking of an event I attended at someone's home a few weeks ago. I had not read your book yet, but there was a conversation between three different people I observed for about 15 minutes. And it was interesting to me to see or hear that as each person spoke, they would share an experience and then the next person would share their version of that experience and the next person. And the conversation never really advanced And I felt like nobody ever really kind of probably got what they were expecting or wanted out of that conversation. They all just left having told their own stories and nobody seemed to really be listening. And I I just walked away from that wondering, do they realize that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, did they get what they wanted from those conversations or did they just, was it enough to just get off their chest, the, the things on their mind without paying attention to what the other person was was saying. And it's it's fascinating to me how prevalent that really is and how often we're all guilty of walking away from conversations, not having gotten what we wanted, nor have we been able to give someone else what they were looking for. Yeah. And I think part of it is because, you know, in that dynamic, everybody has a need mm. and maybe they all feel like they need to be heard in that moment. And mm. so it becomes a sort of jockeying for mm-hmm. like, oh, me too, you know? Right. And I think that it's much harder and we don't get as much practice in this, but it's much harder to just sit with what some someone has said and just bear witness to what they've said. But sometimes that is the need. It's just to be there for someone and to hear them out and say, mm. that sounds really hard right? or that sounds tough or I, I can't imagine what that's like. How do you feel about that? Right. Mm. To just give them the space to share their experience and to say, I'm here for you in some way. Um, it doesn't have to be a really intense conversation either, but you can just say, oh, wow, that sounds that sounds like a tricky situation to mm. navigate without offering advice or, you know, sharing your version of the story. Speaking of going deeper into conversation, as you alluded just a moment ago, how, how can we use the concept of uh, connecting questions uh, to do that? Yeah. So connecting questions are a specific type of question that allows us to get to know someone better. Usually when we're asking questions, we're not doing this on purpose, but we're often asking leading questions or biased questions or um, close-ended questions where we're likely to elicit a one-word response, maybe even a yes or no response. Mm. Um, So if you've ever had a conversation with someone where you just feel like, I'm not getting past a certain point. You know, I've hit a wall. It might have to do with the kinds of questions that you're asking. 
So, you know, for example, instead of asking a question like, are you mad at me, (laughs) which you're going to get a yes or no, (laughs) or even, you know, are you nervous about tomorrow's presentation? You can ask more open-ended questions, which sound like, hey, how do you feel about tomorrow's presentation? Or um, how are you feeling today? Or how are we doing? Mm -hmm. You know, whatever it may be. So it's moving from asking questions that start with are is or do to asking questions Mm. that start with how and what. And what that does is it really opens up the conversation and lets the other person lead the way. And from there, once they are kind of leading the way and what they're willing to share or where they want to go, then you can progressively narrow in. The problem is just that we often start narrow. And so we we miss out on a lot. But if you start broad, it's almost like a funnel. You start broad Mm. with these big how and what questions. And then you narrow in with smaller questions that don't even sound like questions. So if you want to go deeper, you can say something like, oh, say more about that or tell Mm. me more or what else? Or, oh, and that's because, (laughs) and you let them fill in the rest. So it's about knowing, you know, what's your starting point and letting the other person open things up and then progressively getting a little bit deeper. Mm. If, if you interview people on a regular basis, I want you to hit rewind and go back and re-listen to everything that he manages said. It's, it's gold. It's absolute gold. Uh, I love this idea, especially in this environment. Um, and when I work with clients with regard to podcasts and interviewing, especially of knowing where you want to go, but staying flexible. Or uh, I think another way you put it was aiming for a North Star, not a checklist. When else might this sort of mindset be appropriate? And what are some things to consider as we attempt this concept? So I think we often have something concrete that we are trying to do or get to in a conversation, even if we're not fully aware of it. Sometimes we are, it's sort of like, okay, we have this agenda for our time together with someone, you know, especially in a work setting, there's often something concrete that you're trying to get out of your time together. Mm. The challenge is that if you get so zoned in on that, you can become myopic and and only focus on that and you miss everything else (laughs) that's happening. And so you can even miss when your approach is falling flat. So you can be really ready to get to the bottom of a question and the other person needs some small talk, (laughs) needs, you know, needs to talk about their weekend, like is not ready to dive in. Um, Or the reverse, maybe you're opening up with a lot of small talk and they're like, no, we need to get down to business, (laughs) right? So the point is, it's fine to have somewhere you want to go, but you also have to pay attention to things along the way. Mm. If you think about most of us have had an interaction with, let's say, a customer service agent at some point, Mm. and it's common that you as the person who needs help will get frustrated at some point because you can hear the other person following a script, mm-hmm. right? They're asking you specific questions. They're trying to direct you. You know, it's like a tree with a branch. They're trying to find which branch to <laughs> put you on. And mm-hmm. you're like, no, 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 no. Please just listen to me. Like, let me <laughs> tell you the issue. Right. And like, you know, we're going to get much further if you give me that space to listen ahead of time. So there's something to be said for knowing where you want to go, but also continuing to tune into what is this person's experience, like their pitch, their body language, all of those things that we talked about earlier Mm. and noticing and adapting as you go and asking if you're not sure, you know, or saying up front, like, here's what I'd like to talk about, or here's what I think we need to do next. 
where's your head at, right? So that you can get some alignment mm. and not just have it be, okay, you're on your mission, they're on their mission, and you guys are, you know, running parallel or crossing paths occasionally, but not really getting anywhere together. <laughs> well, I have a couple of questions uh, I want to ask you in our time that we have left that aren't directly related to your book, if I may. Before I do that, though, I want to make sure I give you a chance to to share anything else from the book that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that, that we walk away with and, and know. I think the one thing I would add about listening is that I think often we think of listening as something that you're either naturally good at or you're not, right? We can all think of that person in our lives who just is a really good listener. Mm. And we may think, okay, we're never going to be that kind of listener. Um, and it's interesting to me because on the other hand, if you think about speaking, the other side of, you know, communication, speaking, presenting, all of that, we have so many classes and there's just a cultural understanding that you can improve on that side. So the thing I would say is that it is true that you can also improve on the listening side. And I know mm -hmm. we don't talk about it nearly as much, but there are techniques and best practices. And that's really what the book tries to do is to deliver those to readers and help you put them into practice. So just to put that out there that, you know, if it feels out of reach and sort of mythical <laughs> in its own way, um, I really want to debunk that and say that there are, you know, pretty tactical things that you can do in your day to day to improve those skills. Yeah, we really do spend a disproportionate amount of time thinking about our own message and how it's being received and how we can improve it and all those things. Yeah, that's why we need books like Jimenez for sure. Uh, well, give us a bit of insight into your history with with reading, this being the Read to Lead podcast. I'd love to know uh, the impact that books have had on your life and maybe how a habit of consistent and intentional reading, is, assuming that's a habit you have, uh, has played a role in your success, would you say? Uh, definitely. I have been a reader since a very young age. And I knew, you know, by the time I was eight that I wanted to be a writer. Um, so I was really reading a lot. Um, and I think that, I mean, reading has always been a part of my life, but really also helped me hone certain skills. So, hmm. you know, I think up through even college, I was a literature major. And hmm. so I read a lot of fiction. Um, and I think through fiction, you learn a lot of empathy because you're being placed into other people's worlds hmm. and in their innermost thoughts in a way that you really don't have access to outside of, you know, story. Good point. And so I think that was, you know, I, I couldn't have told you that that's what I was doing <laughs> as a kid, but later I certainly internalized that. And then even more concretely, I think I'm someone who's had sort of many career paths. I was in academia for a little bit. I worked in a museum and the art world for a little bit. Um, and then in, in technology. And every time I've made a career pivot, I've turned to books mm. to help me understand the world I was entering. So I, you know, steeped myself in art history books and when I was making a move into the art world. And then when I was making a move into the tech world, I was reading things like The Lean Startup from Eric Ries and The Purple Cow from Seth Godin and all of those at each of those really pivotal moments, I was able to take so much away from from these books and just like so grateful that this information is is out there. So I think in, in many ways, um, reading has always been a part of my life and uh, certainly part of what's gotten me to where I am today. Awesome. And you mentioned Purple Cow. That was pivotal for me back in 2003, a book that helped uh, reignite my love for reading. I have a book coming out 
And the dedication is to Seth for that reason. Other than those two books you mentioned, Eric Reese and, and Seth's book, um, anything else jump out at you as far as books that have had a huge impact on you over the years? Yeah. One book that I continuously return to is Sherry Turkle's Reclaiming Conversation. Mm. So Sherry Turkle is um, a professor at MIT, and she looks at the relationship between technology and society, and specifically in this book, in how technology is changing our conversations. And it's a deeply researched, um, very digestible book. It's also kind of devastating to read because at least when I was reading it, I recognized some of the patterns that she was talking about. And we talked about devices earlier. I think some of the research she cites in her book is how just having a phone in your line of sight in a conversation reduces your capacity for empathy, mm. which is just mind blowing. <laughs> you know, it's like you're not even on your phone. It's just it's there. Right. And just its mere presence can derail how much empathy you offer mm. someone. Um, so it's got a lot of tidbits and interesting research that just is helpful, I think, to rethink your relationship to technology and others and how you show up in conversation, which as, as you know, I think is a, just such an important way of connecting with people. So that is definitely a book that, that was very impactful for me. Great recommendation. I haven't read that, but I will now. Appreciate that. Uh, well, what would you say is ahead for you and your team now that the book is out uh, that you're excited about and, and looking forward to? One of the things that I'm excited about is just partly reentry in this kind of next phase of <laughs> pandemic living. But specifically, I think that I really believe in interdisciplinary thinking and learning from different spheres of your life. And, and I mentioned my interest, my previous life in, in the art world. And that's something that I'm really keen as things are opening back up to kind of get back into and see how that works its way. Into, into the work that I'm doing, which isn't obvious, but I'm just sort of ready to open my brain a little bit to <laughs> things outside of just a screen or what I might normally be interacting with. Well, she has one of the most beautiful names in the world, when pronounced correctly, of course, uh, <laughs> Jimena Vengochea. How'd I do? Did I get it right? You got it. You awesome. got it. Thank you. The book is Listen Like You Mean It, Proclaiming the Lost Art of True Connection. I recommend it highly. Jimena, thank you so much for being here and uh, being a part of the Read to Lead podcast. I loved having you here and loved your book. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Hey, to connect with Jimena online to find out more about her book and the books she recommended, just go to the show notes page for this episode. That's at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 386 for episode 386. Hey, I do want to say one more time that my book is out now, Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career. It's out today. Can I finally say I'm an author officially? Yes, yes, today is that day. It's official. Even if you're just a tenth of as excited about that as I am, that's pretty excited. <laughs> to find out more about that, again, go to readtoleadbook.com or the show notes page, readtoleadpodcast.com slash 386. And thank you to Readwise.io for sponsoring today's episode, Readwise.io slash Read to Lead to take advantage of that two-month-long Readwise trial. Readwise.io slash Read to Lead. Hey, thanks for tuning in this week. I hope you have a great Labor Day weekend. I'll see you next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read.